Welcome to the Boss Lady in Sweatpants Show. I'm your host, Allison Scholes, and I'm on a mission to help female entrepreneurs like you ditch the overwhelm and comparison and teach you how to create less but better content with ease and build an extraordinary brand and business, but do it in a way that is aligned with your soul and makes you crazy happy with your life. This show is filled with faith-led episodes about content creation, social media marketing, and business growth with a side of coffee and Jesus. If you're ready for some juicy content, then it's time to hand your kiddos those tablets, grab your coffee, whiskey, or wine, and let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And today we are going to talk about a topic that I think we don't talk about enough. We seem to kind of hide it in, you know, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. But today we're going to bring it full force up front with my amazing guest today, Fitz Kohler. And when I read her bio, most of the time we were talking about this before I hit record, but a lot of times when we read people's bios, we see the accolades and we see all the accomplishments and we're so impressed. And we always wonder, I know I do, we secretly wonder like, how did these amazing people come so far and have so much success. And I think we need to take a step back and realize that there are people just like you and I, every everyday people who have the setbacks, who have fear, who struggle on a day-to-day basis. And my guest today fits, she is here. She's going to discuss that. And she's really going to talk about how she has combat fear in her life and in her business And, you know, I feel like you're going to be kind of like the comeback story when we get into this. So before I just keep talking and going on and on, Fitz Kohler, welcome to the audience. I'm really, or welcome to the audience. Welcome to the show. And I know my audience is just going to love to hear your story. Well, Allison, so nice to meet you and audience. I hope that we actually connect after this. I hope that we can be online besties and meet in person. Um, I have a tendency to travel around the country, so it's nice to pick up, especially as you tell me your audience is made up of a lot of female entrepreneurs, which which I adore connecting with. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, before we get into my juicy questions, talking about fear and rejection, you know, and how to combat all of that, and everyone has their opinions on it, but I know you have a story that would really inspire my audience to take action in their life, but I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us what you do. Yeah, so I do a variety of things. The most important thing I am is a fitness expert. I have a master's degree in exercise and sports sciences. I've been teaching for decades and I help people live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable and fun. And, you know, I uh, I come at you with science and, and facts as opposed to hokey crap, diets, pills, powders, supplements, all the garbage. <laughs> I'm, you know, a consumer advocate when all that is concerned. Really, the secrets to being healthy and fit are watch what you put in your mouth, move your body, get some sleep, remove the cranky people, not so complicated. Um, so the things I do is as a fitness professional, I don't work like most do. I don't work in a gym or do personal training. I work almost exclusively via mass media and large-scale live presentations. So TV, radio, books, magazines, online presentations. I do a ton of corporate keynote presentations. I love live audience work. Um, I own a large school running program called The Morning Mile, which gets kids and their families moving in the mornings. 
I'm an author of multiple books. Just recently released is my Cancer Comeback series, which I'm so excited to help cancer patients and survivors, you know, A, focus on fit, fitness during treatment, but then dig their way out of that deep, deep hole on the way out. And then um, I'm also a professional race announcer. So I host some of the largest, most iconic running events in the United States. And that's probably the best thing I do. Well, I, I don't know. It's hard to choose, <laughs> but, you know, being someone who I, I do a lot of arm twisting, trying to convince people to eat right and exercise and so forth on race day. You know, my next race is Los Angeles Marathon. LA Marathon will literally hand me probably about 35,000 people who think exercise is a great idea. And my whole role there is to make sure people know what to do and make sure they have a hell of a good time while they're doing it. So, um, yeah, I'm blah, 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 fitness. I'm bossy. I'm noisy. I help people do better and be better. The end. That I love that. And just through seeing you and talking with you, your personality just shines and you're okay. just such a vibrant person. I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I would say noisy and bossy. I think I would use the word very vibrant, very encouraging. And I love that. Thank you. But totally noisy, totally bossy. <laughs> Stick around. Stick around. <laughs> Well, I know today we are going to chat about fear, which is something you had to deal with, especially back in 2019. So can you take us back to that time and tell us about your diagnosis? I will. So I can start by saying when it comes to fear, I've I've faced it throughout my whole life like everybody else has. And thankfully, I've been able to talk my way out of it and not out, not externally, but in my head, you know, I've been a really good coach and a pragmatic person, which has helped a lot. Um, but yeah, in 2019, seven weeks after a sparkling clean mammogram, I got out of the shower at a race weekend and I rubbed my under boob and I found a lump mm -hmm. and, um, I instantly picked up my phone, which was on the bathroom counter. I did not wait. I did not Google it. I did not cry to my mom or my friends. I called the doctor, which I want everybody to know and learn from. That's the appropriate action to take. Um, but yeah, I found that lump. And then within about a week or so, I had the mammograms and the ultrasounds and the biopsies that told me, Fitzkohler, you have breast cancer and it's running through you like wildfire. Um, it's seven weeks. You already have a sizey tumor and it's already infected multiple lymph nodes. So we need to get this show on the road and start treating you. So um, terrifying. Yeah, I can't imagine. So what was your treatment? <sighs> yeah, the treatment. So everybody's is different, right? I, I say cancer in general is very much like a snowflake. Even if you have breast cancer, they're all different. We all have our different um, obstacles to faces and types of breast cancer and so forth. My treatment was uh, 15 months of chemotherapy, which was God awful. And <laughs> I had 33 rounds of radiation and I had um, some surgeries. I only had lumpectomy. So thankfully I did not have to have the full mastectomy. It wasn't recommended for me. There was no perk or no real benefit for me to do that. So I didn't um, those, those poor women and men who have to endure full mastectomies. That's a real, that's a real tough, tough road. I, I had my tough road too with chemo, but, um, but that was my treatment plan. And I still take a pill every day, which keeps the cancer away. Hooray. Yeah. Wow. So tell me what was going through your mind because you came from this fitness health, like you thought you were doing all the right things. And then bam, you're, you're hit with this. And now it's 15 months of just 
horrible health issues. What was going on in your mind? Yeah. So it, it was hell. It was hell. And I was doing most of the right things. I'm not perfect and never have been, but you know, as far as the questioning of it, uh, a lot of people say with cancer, why me? And all I could think was, why not me? You know, mm -hmm. I'm in Gainesville, Florida. We have the UF Health uh, Pediatric Oncology Wing, and those babies have done nothing to deserve cancer. So if them, why not me? So I never had that pity party, but the fear was tremendous. And I definitely, because of the rapid pace at which this thing was growing, I just thought, I'm definitely dying. And I had no data <laughs> to say that. I didn't really understand it all, but I thought, oh my God, I'm definitely dying. And I thought, well, I have the perfect family and the perfect career and I'm the perfect beacon of health and happiness. I'm definitely going to make the perfect tale of tragedy. So that was upsetting, but more so than losing my life and losing my hair and all those things. I was so, so heartbroken over losing Ginger and Parker's lives, my kids. I mean, I think almost any, every, every mother would know that is your greatest fear is losing your kids. And I was going to lose them because I wasn't going to be here. And that was just gut-wrenching. It, it was it was so stressful. And um, I am the ultimate optimist. I'm a tigger. I'm born a tigger. I find the bright side in everything. But that type of stress that comes with cancer is unusual, unbearable. So it, it was, it was hard until my doctor convinced me that he was going to cure me. I love that. And now that you have these, the book, you have a series. I do. Yes. So I want to know from you, how did you use your diagnosis to combat fear? <sighs> I, I use the same tools that I'd used all my life. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I'm going to go back, I don't know, 18, 20 years. I, um, in my, in grad school, I was maybe 21. I started competitively kickboxing. And a lot of people say, well, that's such a brave thing to do. To me, it was just fun. It was just fun. And I was, you know, I'd get in a ring and hope to knock the other person out or at least <laughs> hit them more than they hit me. And I thought it was a good time. Um, but along that way, people, as, as I was uh, progressing with kickboxing, I drew attention. It was a much smaller sport than it is now. Um, MMA wasn't a big thing. There weren't a lot of female fighters. So there was a lot of press generated towards me and they kept screwing it up. They kept, they would write this articles. They would fly me to Los Angeles from Florida and they would give me these beautiful photo shoots and these eight page color photo spreads. And then they would butcher the information. They would, they would misspell my name. They would make up quotes and it just made me look like a moron. And so I would go running to the bookstore to grab a magazine and I'd leave furious every single time. And so one day after a particularly brutal training session, I, I leave, I went to the bookstore to pick up the new release of whatever magazine it was. I open it up and they, again, they screwed it up and I'm angry and what I really wanted to do was write the articles, but I was too afraid to ask. I just thought, oh, I can't ask. What, what if they say no, right? And so I'm sitting in my Jeep with this magazine that's making me cranky. And I had the aha moment. I had, how dumb are you, Fitz Kohler? Like, you just went toe to toe with four different people much bigger than you in the gym. And you stand in a ring in front of thousands of people with a person who wants to knock you clear unconscious. And you're afraid to make a phone call. Like, huh. What the hell is wrong with you? So 
I thought, okay, I'm just going to call. I went back to the office. I picked up the phone. I called Bob with, I don't know, Black Belt Magazine or Ultimate Athlete. And I said, hey, Bob, Fitz Kohler. Oh, hey, Fitz. How are you doing? I said, I'm great. Um, I got a question for you. He said, yeah. I said, I would really like to write the next article for you. He goes, oh, yeah, that would be great. He goes, how much money do you want? And I thought, he said, yes. And (laughs) he's going to give me money. (laughs) So why have I been holding back? What have I been so afraid of? I mean, really the worst thing he could have said is, sorry, we're not interested. So from then on, my, um, my rule was if it does not cause bleeding, bruising, or broken bones, I'm going for it, right? I'm going for it. So I've been able to convince myself that things just really weren't that scary. Um, and you know, that I could walk through fire type thing. Now, uh, cancer is way, way scarier than a businessman who might reject you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did the same type of thing. Com- I, I just had those conversations in my head, the pragmatic conversations. I don't enjoy drama. I don't enjoy irrational, um, you know, people are like everything's wrong or what. I just, I don't buy off on that. Uh, so when I was, when I started off cancer, I was just kind of silently, enduring it. I didn't want to burden my family more than they already were. And uh, (laughs) right before I started chemo, I had to do an MRI on a Friday. And so chemo was Monday. And again, the last thing they just needed that pre-treatment imaging and I'm claustrophobic. So I've, Mm -hmm. I've had an MRI before. And if you've ever done an MRI, usually you have to lie down on this bed and they shove you into this tiny tube. And then Thor bangs his hammer outside like bang, bang. (laughs) So I was already on edge about that, but I get there, they inject in, they put an IV in me and I'm also, I don't like needles. So I'm a little weepy over the needles. And then I go into the MRI room and the lady who's pretty nice, she goes, all right, get up on the bed and lie down face down. And I was like, what? No, I lie on my back. She goes, no, lie down like Superman. And I just did it like a robot. I just got up there and I lie down like Superman. They have this really crappy, crappy face cradle, kind of like a a dollar store Mm -hmm. version of a massage therapy fit cradle. And so now I'm, I'm there on my face. And then she takes these metal plates and she pins me down by each breast. So she pins in lefty, then righty. And I'm stuck there face down, pinned in by my boobs. And I hadn't had a chance to like put my hair in a bun or crack my back or anything. I just got on there. And I'm starting to think, oh my God, oh no, 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 no. And then she shoves me into the MR tube, MRI tube and I lost my freaking mind. I'm a type A girl and very much so, but I got in there. There was kicking and screaming <laughs> and flailing and begging for mercy. Let me out, let me out. And she was like, no, you got to stand. I was like, ah, I'm losing it. So she pulls me out of the MRI machine and now she's yelling at me. She's like, you're the last person of the day and I stayed late for you and they're not going to start chemo and unless you get these scans. And it was like, basically, you're going to die if you don't get back in there. So um, so I was like, okay, just give me a minute. And I put my hair back and I crack my back and I get back on and she shoves me in the machine. And so I wasn't not freaking out because I was lying still. I was freaking out inside. But what overrode the freak out was that little voice who kept saying, you know what, Fitz? you can do this. You know, you have done so many hard things. You have raised two great children. You've built an international business. You used to be a kickboxer. You can do hard things, hang in there. And it it was that voice. So um, that's how I handle stress was, is just, you know, I reason with myself and I, I like a psychopath for 45 minutes. It was on, 
just repeat, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And eventually I'd said it enough and, and she had let me out. Um, and then I had to keep telling myself that all the way through treatment because every single day there was something else that scared me that I was constantly, you know, chemo number one, terrifying, right? Because you don't know what chemo is going to do for you. Chemo number six, way more scary because you know what's going to happen. You know mm -hmm. what you're sitting down there for. So it was, um, yeah, it was that internal coach and she's pretty good stuff. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to have that voice inside my head. But that's how I deal with fear. I, I talk myself through it. and. Um, yeah, I just uh, like everybody else. I do my best, right? There's, I have no Marvel stuff flowing through me. I just, I gotta, I gotta grit it out like everybody else. Yeah, and I like that you keep talking about that internal voice because sometimes we can mentally shut down and we don't have that internal yeah. voice to walk us through those hardships and the fear. And I think that's really important that you were talking about that because. It's okay to, we need that internal voice. We need that reasoning yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I know that you have an amazing career as a yeah. fitness expert and as an author and a speaker, and you touched on this a little bit, but I'm sure that the fear of rejection was constantly popping up during your career. How did you learn to navigate the fear of rejection? Because I think that is a lot of, re there's a lot of reasons, but that's one of them that people don't take that next step is the fear of rejection. Yeah. Well, it definitely goes back to that aha moment with that magazine, you know, like, okay, so what if somebody tells you no? There's millions of more people that might give you a yes. And, uh, I learned to be fearless that way. And I don't necessarily know if asking for an opportunity is fearless, right? But it, courage is defined by overcoming your own fear. So whether it's irrational or rational or not, um, I decided that without the bleeding, bruising, broken bones, I was going to go for things. Um, there was definitely early on in my career, more, people told me no. They'd say, sorry, not interested. And so I would decide... What can I do to make myself more appealing, more accomplished, more experienced? So they'll give me a yes. Um, I definitely used to have a fear of talking about money. You know, that's awkward when people are like, well, what do you charge? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's no standard in what I do. Like when you buy a, a soda, right? They're going to be 99 cents or two bucks or whatever. What I do, what's the standard? I'd have to make up rates. I feel very uncomfortable <clears throat> taking from people because I'm a giver. And my role is to take care of people. So taking money doesn't feel like that. But I, I had to learn that people are, when they invest money in something that has a wonderful effect on their life, they feel good about it. And I should feel good about receiving the money in order to help these people. You know, it's a give and take. And I think when you give things to people for free, they don't value it. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's been a constant um, uh, trial and error of just, going back to the trough, trying something new. And then fortunately from my career, you know, I don't have a boss. Um, I am the business owner. However, people hire me and and technically they are kind of my boy, my bosses. I, I did a keynote in Tampa for a large association and they paid me a large amount of money and you bet your booty. I was really hoping to impress them. And then when I was done, when I got a standing ovation, I thought, okay, this is good. And when the <laughs> president came over and said, that was awesome. Everybody loved you. I thought, Yay, my boss loves me. So I <laughs> technically I do have bosses because I do like being rehired. But uh, my business is set up right now where maybe a hundred different people hire me throughout the year. 
So if one decides not to hire me again, okay, still there's 99 left. Um, when I was teaching fitness, I learned really quickly, my style is high energy and raucous and rowdy and fun. Not everybody wants that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants us. Some people want to show up to a fitness class and they want to have a little bit of peace and maybe not work so hard. I might not be their cup of tea. And so that that also was a nice lesson I learned very early when I, I think I might have been 15, 16, that I just decided 50% of the people are going to love me, 50% are going to hate me. And, and it's not personal. It's just a different preference. So those things uh, allow me to be what you're calling fearless in business. I just go forward. And if somebody doesn't want to work with me, okay, someone else will. And you just said something that's so key when it comes to the fear of rejection. And it might, it might not be about you. Yeah. It might be more about them and you're just not for them. And it's not personal. It's not that you're doing anything bad or you approach right. them the wrong way. Yeah. So we have to keep that in our mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know that fear can be very paralyzing. So do you have for the listeners any like daily habits or tools you use to stay ahead of fear and take action? Uh, Well, I think taking action, number one, does uh, limit your fear. It makes you a lot more confidence. And it's so funny with fitness. I could really go on forever. (laughs) It's like my baby. I love it. I'm truly a believer. Uh, but it's not just about your healthy body and your length of life. And those things I find to be critically most important. However, if you take good care of yourself, when you walk into the room, you stand up straight, people look at you and they go, yep, I want to work with her. You know, there's, there's something that elevates you just because you do yoga or Pilates or you box or do stadiums, whatever it is, those things make you a more, uh, believe it or not, a trustworthy enticing person. And so taking care of yourself will make you stand up straighter. That confidence, even if it's just perceived confidence goes a long way. So I do the things I do every day to make myself the best version of me. Um, I'm a joy addict. So I find the great side of everything, even in a traffic jam, you know, I'm in there, I'm thinking, well, I got a little extra time to do, listen to my podcast or, you know, I'm so grateful I'm not in the accident that caused this traffic jam. So uh, yeah, I think just making yourself the best version of yourself uh, allows you to know that you've done your best. You put your best foot forward. And if it's not to be, it's not to be. I love that. And what I'm, my takeaway from that is ladies, if you're listening, make sure you fill your cup because if you're not filling your own cup, how can you fill anybody else's cup? And I think as mothers, we have to remember that because like you, like earlier, you said, I'm a giver. I I think most women are like that. You're you're givers, you're nurturers, and you have this feeling that you have to take care of everybody else first. But the reality is going back to that health aspect, you're, you got to take care of your body, your mind, and your soul. So if you're not filling your cup, ladies, how are you going to fill anybody else's cup? Well, I think the worst thing we do is that whole martyr complex. We're like, oh, I can't be healthy because I have kids. Are you kidding me? You just Mm -hmm. brought these humans into the world. And now you're telling me you're not going to take care of their mother and they may become orphaned, whether they do it in their, when they're 10 or they're 30 or they're 50 freaking unacceptable. That is, that is not your excuse. Your children are your motivation. They're your inspiration to take care of yourself. And you know, a caregiver, or I can't exercise. I can't eat right. My dad needs me because he's got whatever. Okay. So you're going to let your health deteriorate and who's going to be left to take care of 
your dad with X, Y, Z. And so you have to prioritize yourself. If you think you're so noble and you're so generous, yet you're letting yourself fall apart, think again. You are going to you know, make life way more difficult on everybody else around you. And if it doesn't kick in early, you're going to be that helpless, frail, uh, old person that your kids are burdened by taking care of. And of course we love, I love taking care of my mom when I can, you know, I, and it's not a burden to do that, but let's be real. There's a bunch of young adults who have their lives severely altered because their parents did not take care of themselves. So, you know, when I look you in the eye, folks, if you're watching this or you know, I'm, I'm coming into your ear, this is where the bossy part comes in, Allison, is that it is your responsibility to take care of you and you will fail everybody around you if you are not doing so. Amen. That was so well said. Oh, I love that you said that. So yes, be bossy whenever you want. <laughs> now I want to talk risk because we know that anything we try to do is going to have some risk, especially as entrepreneurs. So I want to know, how do you manage risk? Um, so my risk, fortunately, has never come with a, a big financial burden. You know, some people, you want to open a restaurant, you got to take out $200,000, $400,000. I, I admire those entrepreneurs. I am not one of them. I've never had to endure financial risk. In fact, I'm a debt-free girl just paid off my house, just paid off every vehicle, don't have anything on the credit card. And I'm not, a, I'm not like an uber wealthy girl. I'm just committed to being debt free. So that was a big thing for me. So financial risk, I'm not a, I'm not a really good person to take uh, too much advice from because I don't do it. Um, however, I, I just, I just go forth. I know that I'm the expert in my field. I have all of the experience, you know, so you know, when you build up your credentials and your experience and you become the foremost authority, for me, it's fitness and race announcing and so forth. For you, it might be decorating cakes or building cars or whatever it is. You know, when you've invested in yourself so much that, you know, you you present yourself and your and your ideas or your your service. And if somebody says no, thank you, you just know somebody else will say yes. You know, if you get enough no's, then you know you have to reevaluate. What what should I do differently? What are the other people in my career or in my industry doing that makes them successful? Uh, but yeah, information, practice, um, expertise, I think that gives me the greatest um, confidence. And then it's funny, the thing that I do that most people fear is I stand on stages in front of tens of thousands of people, which apparently is quite scary. Um, but because it's my wheelhouse, yes. that's when I feel most at home, right? So don't compare yourself to other people. Just do the thing that you do. Become the best that you can be at it. Constantly practice, constantly learn. And those rejections will um, cease to continue. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, what is your secret to success even during hardships? Oh gosh. Um, so I, I, this is what my memoir, my noisy cancer comeback really touches on. It's the three P's for me. It's, uh, perspective, passions, positivity, you know, perspective. I used to say before it was cancer, I would always, before I had cancer, I would say, Oh, it's not cancer. And so whether it was a car accident or spilt milk or whatever, I would just say, ah, it's not cancer. And then all of a sudden it was cancer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I thought, Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's cancer. Is it my time to freak out? But then I thought about those little kids with cancer and I thought, okay, well, 
lucky me, I'm a grown up with cancer. I'm not a kid and it's not my kid with cancer. So perspective always sets me straight. Somebody always has it worse. And I don't want, you know, it's not like I, I'm like, well, someone's on fire right now. So I'm in a good place, but it does help to compare yourself to people less fortunate. And, uh, you know, that, that makes you feel like, mm, I can't complain so much. And, and that's a good thing. Um, passions, my kids, when I got diagnosed, I decided cancer, cancer was going to steal my hair. It was going to steal my energy and a lot of things. It was not stealing time with my kids. If they had a show, a ceremony, a sport, I was going to be there. End of story. And then also it was not stealing my career. And so where most people would have been a uh, understanding of me to take a year and a half off to just be sick, I wouldn't have understand uh, or understood. I was not going to let cancer steal my career. So I boarded over 30 flights out of Gainesville. I hosted probably a million people live. I had a, uh, I was sick. I was violently ill for a very long time. I, and no joke, I was sleeping on the bathroom floors. I was getting IV fluids every day, but I would show up. And this is wow. the magic of your passions is I would sleep on that hotel bathroom floor and uh, at 4.30 in the morning, my alarm would go off and I'd drag my lifeless body off the ground, get sick a few more times, get dressed. And then I'd head over to the start line. And every single time, the second I stood on those stages, surrounded by thousands of incredible people, every single thing that was wrong with me disappeared. I wasn't tired. I wasn't sick. I wasn't exploding. Um, and I and it, none of it was uh, psychosomatic. Like I had real issues but the ability to focus, turn my focus on these extraordinary events and these incredible people and the adrenaline I received from that thing that I loved, I got to be full force Fitzkohler for six hours, eight hours, sometimes 10 hours at a time. And it was absolutely magic. So for me, it's my kids and race announcing. For you, it might be dogs. It might be um, artwork. It might be music, whatever it is. You have to include your passions in your life, no matter what, on the good days and the bad. And please don't wait for the bad days to say like, oh, okay, that's when I'm going to start knitting or writing music. You have to do those things every single day. This is why I'm such a happy chick because I'm always like, okay, I got my animals. I got my exercise. I'm outside. Uh, Those things lift me up. Know what lifts you. Do those things. And then, of course, positivity. You know, it. uh, you get no extra points for being the saddest person in the room even with cancer, even when someone died, even when your house burned down, are you entitled to grieve? Yes. Is it benefit to bask in the grief and wallow in misery? It's not. And so did I cry every single day of my cancer nightmare? I probably did. Um, But I would get it out and I'd get on with it. And so this is a thing you can grieve. Just don't bask in it. Passions, perspective, positivity. Remember, you can do hard things and you will. Oh, I just love that. Love those three P's. I hope my audience wrote those down and I hope they'll remember that. Thank you so much for being on the show, Fitz. This was just such a great, inspiring conversation. And I know that my audience is really going to start using their inner voice to fight against that fear and to take action in whatever hardships they have going on in their life. So before we end, I would love for you to tell the audience, the listeners, where can they connect with you? Absolutely. Um, and thank you for having me on your show, Allison. For those of you who got through the podcast, thanks for listening. I hope I was able to give you the kick in the can you <laughs> needed to go be your best self. Uh, my home base is fitness.com. That's F as in Frank, I-T-Z as in Zebra, N-E-S-S.com. Everything there. There's a ton of free resources to help you live better and longer. I encourage you to look through those. All of my books are there. 
my noisy cancer comeback, your healthy cancer comeback, the healthy cancer comeback journal. There's online courses and other things. So, you know, have a look-see, allow me to boss you around a little bit more via the written word. Um, I'm also at fitness on all social media channels. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, I love LinkedIn connections. And here's the deal. If you follow me, I promise quality content in return, but I would much rather you follow and then comment and connect and say, hey, I heard you on Allison's podcast and blah, 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 because I would much rather have friends than followers. So let's let's get together, people. I'm I'm excited to make new friends. Thank you for having me, Allison. Oh, absolutely. This was such an inspiring conversation. And I will make sure that all of your links and connections are in the show notes. And I hope everyone has a beautiful and blessed day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Can you do me a favor? The best way to support me and grow the podcast is by leaving a written review on Apple iTunes. I promise you, I read every review and take them to heart. And don't forget, head to bossladyandsweatpants.com to snack some freebies or hang out with me on Instagram at Allison Scholes. I'll see you soon.